Hello, Black Tribe. This is Lisa Black. I believe that we are on the part six. Part six or season six, if you like to say that, babe. (laughs) Episode six of Gary's deep dive into the heart, which has transformed his life and I believe will transform all of ours if we listen and, and take this in. We are in Why Don't We Live from a Soft Heart. Mm. Remember last week we talked about the hard heart, the hidden heart, uh, that we're all religious. We're much more religious than we know. I go into a lot deeper dive in that when I'm teaching it out here at G42. But uh, And then just my own personal experiences of having a hidden heart that I didn't expose who I truly was to you or to the kids and um, learning how to do that. It's been a fun journey. It's a a hard journey. It's been fun discovering you. Yes. I always knew that was there, though, or I wouldn't have married you. Right. Well, and I, you know, I think I always thought I had a really good heart. Realizing that I had to work on my heart was huge. Yeah. Um, But I think ultimately you're kind of born into being good people because it's New Testament people, our hearts are cleansed, it says. Okay. But we've got to learn how to really go deep and learn how to live from our hearts uh, like Jesus did. Yes. And so we're getting there. Okay. We're getting closer and closer to the end I'm here. Excited. I think this part, we're going to go slow. This is one of my favorite parts I've been studying. Okay. Um, a lot of psychology here, a lot of clinical psychologist thoughts in this, this series, um, and then some of our own stories that we'll share. And so what stuck out from you the most from the hidden heart or the, the, the blind heart or the hard heart? I just think that it's, I mean, something all of everybody can relate to. And I think the first thing we want to do when we hear this is we always want to go, oh, that's how so-and-so acts. So that's why so-and-so, you know, right away when we started reading it, I was like, oh, I can see our kids in this and what they've been through. And really, we always need to put our finger down, look in the mirror. And I, I would highly suggest everyone starts with their own hearts before they start picking out what's in other people's hearts. <laughs> well, it's a lot easier to pick out other things in other people. I know, but it's, it is difficult to look in the mirror. And I think asking those questions of yourself is, is, you know, God, what do you want to do with my heart? What am I missing? And then be quiet for a minute. And give him a chance to answer because he doesn't yell. He doesn't. He talks he very softly. Yes, yes, he does. He's in the whisper. Well, to fulfill the great commission to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and ultimately to love our enemies, which it's funny. Andrew and I were in that discussion yesterday is how do you love people who blow up other people? How do you mm-hmm. love pedophiles? How do you keep your heart open to these kind of people. And that's the journey that we're on. It doesn't mean that we accept uh, their actions. It doesn't mean that we endorse what they're doing. It means that we get to actually love them with an open heart, forgive them, and then try to, to understand what they're feeling to ultimately maybe bring them to transformation. It's not there to necessarily fix them, but I think that's what Jesus did. Yeah. He didn't judge the prostitute. He didn't judge the tax collector. He he loved everybody the Who same. Who was the and really scum well. of the earth at that time? Well, women there were was, the scum. Yeah, yeah, scum. Women and tax collectors were the the lowest of the low. So yep, and he always and he included always, women. <laughs> he always touched women, talked to women. Yes, taught. I mean, did everything he could to reach out. Heal I love them. He said the four thousand and the women and children, yes. the five thousand and the women and children. Yes. He always included them, and they 
called him rabbi because yes. he was their teacher yes. and they weren't allowed to be taught. So what a good man can do. I'll start over to fulfill Change the great the commission to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves. We have to live in our whole heart, not just part of our hearts. The problem that we have is most of us, because of our religion, live in part of our hearts and not fully. We've talked about three major reasons that we don't live in the heart. The first one is religiosity keeps us from living, fully living in our hearts. It is impossible with a blind, hidden, veiled, and hard heart if I can't see how my heart is affecting other people, if I'm blind to all that is in my heart, if I don't know who I really am, and if I cannot risk being known in my heart by other people, and if I believe that I must be right when others are wrong, that I must have more knowledge and more information, and that I must live on that knowledge more than other people do, there is no possible avenue for life in my true heart. Hmm. Right? Yes. And so these are these were all true of me as a person, of Gary. These were all true of John Smeltzer, who wrote and studied a lot of this stuff that we're reading. And it's true in the Church of America as well. Mm -hmm. The religiosity that is in the American church is likely the first and greatest reason that we don't live fully alive in our hearts. In addition to religiosity, the second reason is... We have developed a destructive and self-centered style of relationship with other people. The unhealthy style of relationship comes from growing up in a dysfunctional home where we basically have to survive and not live. Full heart living in a dysfunction, dysfunctional home is not possible. So all those people that have perfect families do not have to do any of this hard work. That's right. And Where how many people, people, yes, have you met? We sit in G42 at orientation and we interview the students and they tell us their stories and our jaws consistently drop to the and table. And they all look at you and I and think, if I had you for parents, I wouldn't have these issues. And I say, we'll call our kids. <laughs> Here's their numbers. And they'll tell you what it was like to be raised by us. Yes. It wasn't easy. We made a ton of mistakes and we... At a dysfunctional home. And the point is, is that every home is dysfunctional. Yes. Where there's no non dis Now, I grew up in a pretty conservative home. My dad was angry, very angry, and was over-the-top disciplined. But my mom was so pure and so soft and had such an open heart. So I actually learned the open heart from her without even knowing it. She's been our best And example. then my dad, through the years, God showed me, showed me the father's heart without him even knowing it. Yeah. But in the way that he responded to me. Right. And that combination is the reason why I think I am in my 50s now becoming a full-hearted person. Person. Well, and also you made the choice to well, go deeper. I have to. Yeah, you, we've got to make the choice to do the hard work. You do. Don't we? Yeah. It's nice when someone older kind of cast a vision for you, though. It is. And if we listen, if we listen, might save us some decades. Uh, listening to older people has saved my life. Saved your life. Yes. It's not possible because the full powers and capacity of the heart, such as spontaneity, creativity, and curiosity, for example, are simply unacceptable in a dysfunctional home. Interesting. They are rejected. They are opposed. The consequence is then that we abandon our whole heart and we are forced to live from a reduced and anemic part of our hearts. Our heart literally shrinks 
I want you to get this. This is huge. So when a boy around 11 and a girl about 10 to 13 years of age, the heart is nothing but a shriveled facsimile of its original. Wow. That's in the average American. Wow. Dysfunctional Christian. So what's that home. like for a, a little girl or a little boy who's been abandoned or orphaned or... It's even way wow. worse. Right. And that's why you, you know, we've not seen very many successful Russian adoptions. Mm -hmm. They have the alcohol syndrome and they're so full of pain in their hearts from yeah. abandonment and rejection and horrible living. We've been in the orphanages over there, hundreds of them that are dark and dirty and perverted, perverted and the woundedness that has happened in these little kids' hearts steals what Jesus wanted us to be. Yes. And but it's true in every one of our homes. Yeah. Our hearts shrink because we live in dysfunction. And we see this every day. Most of us end up majoring in the mind of the heart and abandoning the loves, the talents, the interests, the interests, the trusts, and the experiences of the full heart. Mm -hmm. So we go to our mind, we go to cognitive thinking and we go to heart thinking instead of heart living is what happens. And we see this again all the time. We sit with young person after young person after young person who is stuck in their head. Their hearts have been completely destroyed from sexual abuse, mental abuse, physical abuse, from dads dying from alcoholism and drug abuse, from moms abandoning their family when they're young. We hear it every single time we get a new class in. Yeah. And it, it's an epidemic and fatherlessness has stolen um, every heart of a young black man, African-American man in the inner city, has stolen it from the Hispanics, from the Indian. Mm -hmm. And in the white world, 50% of every home doesn't have a dad in it. Yeah. And most of the dads that are in the home are silent. And like I talked about on the last podcast, my silence literally put insecurity on our kids. Which silence is not um, the, the beautiful thing that we think that it is when it's in that context, because silence can be a beautiful thing and it can be a place of real healing and real truth. And um, the silence that a man carries, though, says so much. Yes. If my dad was silent and not smiling, I knew something was really, really off. And if something was off with my dad, something was off in the whole world. Yes. Because he was my window to the world. Mm. He, my, all, everything went through him. Everything came through him. So, you know, everyone usually comes to the mom when they're feeling vulnerable and they need to, like our kids, I usually they when they're crying, they call me Yeah. and it's okay because there's something in us that wants our dads to be proud. There's something in us that dads hold a great deal of power. So fathering done well, literally say changes culture. Like it's the most important thing I think a man can do with his life. Absolutely. Is be a good, faithful man to his wife. If you're a good and take father, care of yes. and, and, and open his heart to his children That'll change. Well, it's actually, it's obviously always both in. You got to have a good mom for the tender, for the mm -hmm. femininity, for all those things. You have to have the good dad for that strength and that protection and that life that right. dad gives. But it comes when I mean silence as a father, most men have a, what we call endemic silence. Yeah. The Adam silence. When, when Eve was eating the apple and Adam didn't stand up for his woman and stop it, most men go silent. And so then most women run the household and it's words. completely dysfunctional and it's completely off because we're supposed to be doing it side by side together in a healthy way. And so even the most beautiful homes 
um, that I've experienced. And I've only experienced a couple of those. Like I was saying, when I was young and I would spend time with other families, I would be in shock with how they lived, the cussing and the screaming and the fighting, because it wasn't like that at my house. My dad was angry and he would yell at my mom, but there was no cussing and there was no physical abuse to my mom. It was just, but you get into other homes and you're just shocked because right. of the way they talk and the right. way they are. And, and so anyway, all of us have shrunken hearts. And so what it's developed is relationship styles with others that become seriously unhealthy and self-protecting and damaging. The essence of these relationships are characterized by having one option in them. Unhealthy relationships have only a single choice in relationships with other people. And we're going to talk about that. On the other hand, healthy relationships have options. In fact, the essence of a healthy relationship is that it has more than one option. It has three. A healthy relationship is dynamic, changeable, and real. Okay, so when you're in a healthy relationship, it's dynamic, it's, it's, it's spontaneous, it's changeable, it's okay if it changes, it doesn't affect the way I feel about you, and it's real. Mm-hmm. We talk about hard things and tough things, and we, and we transform one another. That's a healthy relationship. And in, in, in every conflict that arises in every discussion we engage in and every activity, activity that we share with someone else, we can do these three things if we are healthy and have a healthy relationship. Number one, we can submit to that other person. Number two, we can resist that other person's agenda and replace it with our own agenda. And number three, we can separate from that other person. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in a healthy heart relationship, I can submit and say, yeah, let's do this. I can resist that and it's okay. Or I can separate and say, no, we're not going to do that at all. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's speaking the truth and love in a healthy sense. Right. And that doesn't mean the other person necessarily has to be healthy. If you actually operate in that, you can establish boundaries in the spirit that they can't cross. Right. And this is a completely different. And we'll, we'll get into this a little more teaching on boundaries than I've ever heard. We don't need boundaries with other people because we close our hearts and our hearts aren't open. If we establish boundaries by speaking the truth, our hearts can remain open. They just know they can't violate. Much more effective. (laughs) Well, it's the point. It's the only way we can love one another and be in unity. So let me give you a couple examples. If you invite me to go see a movie, and this is very simple, but this explains it well. If you invite me to go see a movie with you this weekend and we've been that you've been wanting to see, I have three choices in responding to you. I can say, sure, let's go. That's submission. I'm willing and able to do what you want me to do. Or I can do the movie just starts this weekend. The movie that I want to see is on the big, big screen and ends this weekend. So let's do that one and do yours next weekend. That's resistance. We can resist the agenda of the other person that they impose, right? Or we can impose our own. We can separate from that person. And I can say, I wish that I could could go to the movie with you, but I am swamped. I have too many commitments that make it impossible. That's separation. I exclude myself from that other person's plans. In every healthy relationship, those three options always exist. The truth is there are no no more options than those three. What most of us do is we're, we're afraid of people, so we fear man more than we fear God, so we make up excuses and we lie. Okay. And that's not living out of our whole heart. Okay. Does that make sense? We're afraid of people. Yeah, we fear man more than we fear God. Okay. 
fear their, what they think of us and what they... Yeah, what are they going to think of me? Okay. I, or And we'll get into this. Is If I'm an unhealthy... Because of the dysfunction I was raised in, if I'm unhealthy and I'm always trying to please someone, I never speak the truth in love. I'm always just always trying to please somebody else. And we'll talk about Or that. manipulate or whatever. Well, yeah, we yeah. get into all our dysfunctions. Okay. This way of living is exactly what Jesus did. Being the perfect human being that he was, all of his interactions were perfect. Many times he merely submitted to someone because that's what it was his father's will. Right. Remember, he said, I'm only doing what my father's doing. So a lot of times he would submit. So here's an example. Matthew 11 to the centurion. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Just speak a word for I am a man like you. The centurion said, I I have those under me. I tell them what to do and they do. I have those over me. They tell me what to do and I do it. He got authority. It said Jesus was astonished that this centurion understood authority because he hadn't found anybody that understood it to that point. He said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus submitted and did exactly what the man asked him to do because it was the will of his father. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's Jesus being the perfect human submitted because he knew that's what God was doing. Right. right? On other occasions, he didn't submit. He resisted their agenda. He did not do he did did do when he cleansed the temple. He simply picked up a terrible fight with the religious leaders. He drove out the animals and the money changers from the temple and started a riot with the authorities. Right. So that was not him submitting. That was him resisting a religious spirit. Mm-hmm. Remember, he turned the tables over and it said he was angry. It was righteous anger. That's resisting something that he knows he's not supposed to do. Oh, OK. Right. That makes sense. Two, two, two of those healthy options are to submit and to resist. For Jesus, there was a third option. This is really interesting. This is this is really hard for us as humans to get, and especially as people pleasers. Okay. But this third option, Jesus separated from people, none more dramatic than his refusal to heal Lazarus before Lazarus died. Remember the story? Yes. Though his very closest, closest friends on the planet, Mary and Martha, right? Mary was his closest friend, begged him to come and heal him. They waited for him and he never came. He never sent a message. He didn't tell them that he was praying for them. He didn't tell them anything. And it killed them emotionally as it killed Lazarus physically. Wow. He sat for days and didn't move. He was in conflict with his own emotions because these were his best friends. And and it was his relation, Lazarus, he knew was going to die. And God said, sit and don't do anything. Though Jesus was able to exercise all three of these options, most of us can't do it. When we are invited to an event that we don't want to attend, we say yes. (laughs) When we are desperate to say no. I always say no. We make (laughs) That's true. (laughs) I say no all the time. You're supposed to say yes first, but we know it's healthy. Like, no, not even get your hopes up. I won't be there. We make wrong choices because we don't want to hurt someone's feelings. In, in an argument, we give in because we don't want the other person to get mad at us and we lie to impress someone. We argue and don't submit because submission feels humiliating. Hmm. Young children, however, this is great, are different than us adults. Like my story of Annie. <laughs> I wanted her to kiss me. She's like, nope, not going to do it. And I love that because she could just be as honest as she can because yeah. she's got a childlike heart. She's six years old. Right. She just didn't want to do it. She's not going to do it. Right. God makes their hearts with the ability to submit, resist and separate if that child has an undamaged heart. Hmm. 
The true healthy relative, uh, relative undamaged heart of a very young child can do all three of these options at any time. And you can see it in kids when their hearts are undamaged before that age of 10, you know, 7 to 10 to 13, depending on a girl or a boy, before their hearts begin to shrink and they're healthy, they can operate in all three of these. Children, of course, do not use the three words, submit, resist, and separate. In fact, they don't even think about them to describe their inner conflicts, but they feel them as truly and surely if they knew the words. Yes. To resolve these conflicts, the child decides to choose one of these three possibilities and majors in it and chooses to abandon the other two, doing great harm to his human personality. So what happens in these little hearts And we see this in in children all the time when they are in a dysfunctional place and they can operate in all three when they're three, when their hearts are undamaged. As soon as they start to get damaged, they choose one of these three and they stay with camp and they stay in Mm -hmm. it. And as I was reading this to you earlier, we could see each of our kids and where they were. And, And we'll keep talking about it. Some little girls choose to emphasize submission. They quickly learn that if they submit to someone else, to mom or dad, the conflicts within their hearts cease. They also find that conflicts with others also cease and others like to be with them because they have become so submissive Mm -hmm. and compliant. These girls always want to please because they are rewarded for their submissiveness, their compliance, and their willingness. Being a good little girl. To please. Yes. Yes. That was our Alexis for Alexis, a long time. Alexis, yeah. She just learned that if she just if would she go just along does with what everybody. what everyone asked her to do, then there'll be no conflict. Now, there'd be times like when the, there, our kids had a band, and man, she was the leader of that band. She wouldn't <laughs> relent, man. She was stubborn. But most of the time with adults, yeah. she would always She's like, I'm not going to fight this ba- the battle. And then, you know, what we did is we put more and more pressure on her to carry more and more. Exactly. And it, it killed her. It did. It overwhelmed her. It, it trashed her she heart. She melted her down. That's what it yeah. did. A girl who does this becomes mommy's little helper. She shines in the family. She's the angel child who can do no wrong. So she is determined to become whatever the other wants her to be and to do because she gets great honor. As she grows and is rewarded for compliance, she begins to develop a style of relationship based on submission. Mm. And so we again, you when you when you really dive into this and it's like you said at the beginning, it's really easy to point fingers and say, well, that person, that person like I can see these styles in the kids in the uh, in the families around right. us just as, as observing like like not we, as, we, as a judgment what in we any did way to them and, yeah. and how they cope they decide because in our six kids i can see all, all, all every one of them and all six of them so the creator of this mo- model was a woman named dr karen hornan and she calls her style moving toward people hmm. in this pattern she is constantly looking for and pursuing new relationship she seeks them out because without others, she has no identity. And without them, she is virtually without personal security and safety. So a little girl who's submissive and compliant is always looking for those new relationships that she can make happy. And that's her identity, becomes her identity. She derives all of this through compliant and dependent connections with other people. She moves toward people in order to submit to them and connect to them and depend on them for everything and also to please them. For security, for meaning, and for relationships to others, she clings. For social connection and help and support, compliance makes others want to be around her because she's always thinking of them, not herself, Mm -hmm. and she is always serving others' needs. Don't take anything, just serves. Just serve. And so we saw this in our own 
daughter. Mm -hmm. And so how did you kind of help her navigate some of that as she's gotten older? We've had some good crying talks. We had another one yesterday and she's really realized that submissive thing in her and, and it set her up for how men treated her. And then she got her heart broken quite often because they took advantage of her and they took from her and they didn't give to her. And she's really just now finding her voice and finding what that looks like and realizing that God did make her a helper of people. That's what her name means. And it's a good thing that she has, but she has a voice. And so as with most things for a while, she kind of, you know, she lashed out a little bit, you know, on Twitter and stuff. And, um, but she's finding now that her voice is really valuable and she has something to say and it's time to say it. But there's a softness to her because she's learned that she doesn't have to, to fight the whole world or take on the whole world or prove to everybody who she is. So she really hasn't. She's become stronger, but she's still a very pleasant person. Yes. It's very interesting. And it's it's hard as a parent because she's in her late 20s and you wanted to see her do this in her teenage years. Yeah. Uh, but we don't know. Right. And we don't we haven't seen. And so we don't know when their hearts begin to shrink and what we're doing to right. cause that. And so it's out of ignorance. But at the same time, we need to take responsibility for that and be part of the healing. Right. So this becomes her permanent and predictable style of relating. She has now become an actress whose role is to play whatever others want her to play. She has lost her heart. She no longer listens to what she wants or needs or feels. The only important requirement for her is what others demand from her. So she watches others, listens to others, always adapting herself to their wishes. She can't listen to her heart because she is so intent on pleasing that other person. We know one of our girls uh, close to us that's married now that is struggling with the same thing. Mm -hmm. And if by chance she would ever hear her own heart, this is going to get you. Her guilt and shame and fear of being selfish are too great for her to trust her own heart wishes. And so she ignores the heart. She has learned to develop a style of relationship to move toward people and become compliant and dependent. Hmm. And so, <laughs> so uh, that's a tough one because yes. we saw that. Now, here's the second child. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. The second child, however, can't submit like this. He chooses to resist the family, especially if he views family members as hostile, controlling, and abusive. And I can hear all you mothers go, that's him. And you're naming your child or, your, or, the, woman or the girl right now. Submission is repulsive to him. It smacks of weakness. It's too passive. He cannot stand those feelings. So he becomes argumentative and belligerent. He is always taking the opposite of the family simply to protect himself. He learns to impose his own agenda on the family and tries to persuade everyone to do what he desires. He is now aggressive, pushy and persuasive. Is this speaking to anybody's heart? Yeah. He doesn't move toward people in submission. He rather learns to move against people aggressively because his goal is to control and to win. This was totally me. His safety lies not in compliance, but in strength. That means he must feel strong and tough. He initiates disputes. He argues relentlessly for his viewpoint. He desires to win in order to bring order, to create predictability, to control and to make an impact on his condition and to get recognition. Hmm. And this is where I really 
kind of, it, it just really made sense to me. He needs to be stronger and smarter than others, than others to get them to follow him and to get admiration and recognition mm. and for his so-called brilliant leadership. His style of relationship is all about winning. His family teaches him that the world is a hostile place and only the strongest survive. <laughs> so strength in mind and body is absolutely paramount to this person. So great story. Going to McDonald's with this kid. And no, no, you're just going to you're just as a family going to have dinner. And you ask the question, which I did so many times, the stupid question, like a democracy to all six children. Hey, what do we want for dinner tonight? <laughs> In the house? In the house. Mm-hmm. And how many opinions do you think I have? Um, I, you were always asking their opinions. And I kept saying, why are we asking their opinions? They're children. <laughs> do you like this house? Should we get this There's house? no way to make everybody happy. No. And so what the what this kind of child will do is he's not moving toward people. He's moving away from people. So he's going to say, hey, I've been thinking about a Big Mac all week. Let's go get a Big Mac. So it's out of the house. And he's going to wear you down until you go get mm-hmm. that Big Mac. Mm-hmm. Right? He'll just it'll be relentless. Everybody will just at some point just go, I can't. Let's just go. Because he's, he's got to control. He's got to manipulate yeah. until he gets his way. Because that's the only way he finds safety. Yeah. It's the only way he finds recognition. And so we had maybe one or two of those oh, maybe. in the family. There's no way to live out of your heart when you live this way. You cannot consider the needs and feelings of others. It creates continuous conflict and the need to control other people. You're always strategizing. You need to figure out the approach to the other family members. You rehearse your action and you learn the predictive responses of other people. You cannot listen to what your heart wants. So you cannot live fully out of your heart. It's impossible Hmm. as this child. There's a third solution. Should we go into it? Yep. Should we hit the third one and end? Now, these are the only three, and you'll see them in yourself. You'll see these in your brothers and sisters. You'll see these in your parents, but I want you to see them in yourself. Okay. I want you to see what of these three, who is it? Which one of these three are you? Okay. Not only does the child move toward people in compliance and dependence, and only not only can a child move against people to win and get recognition, the third child cannot do either of these styles, so he withdraws. And he separates. That's me. He finds that if he withdraws from others, he is not criticized so much. He's not invasive. He's not pressured. He's not imposed upon or controlled by others. And he gets in trouble far less frequently. This was you? Yeah. So what'd you do? You just separated. I was just like, I don't want to cause conflict. And I don't really know how to fix this. So I'm just going to go do my own thing. And I still do it. I taught Noah to do it. (laughs) You did. I did. He does this separation by trying to become invisible Mm -hmm. at home. He learns that solitude protects him from the bother of other people. So she, he, his choice of relationship is where he moves away from people, not toward or against, but away, Mm -hmm. putting emotional distance between himself and others. He becomes self-sufficient, resourceful. He becomes reserved, unfeeling, Mm -hmm. silent, and independent. He ceases to impose on other people. He becomes his own best teacher, and he desires most respect and privacy from others. Yes. This is our Noah. Yes. Now, he's healthy in this. Yes. Mostly. Yes. But he has learned to be his own best friend. Yes. Now, he had to do that here in Spain. Well, he had to do it in a, a family of very loud, very aggressive people. Everyone had a strong opinion and, and, and parents that were 
working and doing stuff. And so he was just like, he would just submit, just withdrawal. But he, but he also was, he'd always get done. I mean, I never had to ask him to clean his room or do his laundry or he just always did. He took care of everything, Yeah, you know? So he was really responsible. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's a good man. Yes. But he just, I think I don't, I understand why he'd feel that way. Like with all that happening in our household, he's like, I can't fix these people. I'm four. I can't submit to what they want me to because I don't even know what that is. So I'm just going to go do my own thing. Yeah. And so I was lost in a make-believe world and I did not grow up in a horrible abusive house. I just, um, I just felt more comfortable in my own company. I did not know why all these little girls would come and ding on the doorbell and they all wanted to play. And I'm like, why can't you just play by yourself? Because <laughs> I'm happy and you're messing up my world. Wow. I still feel that way. Well, this person refuses to get emotionally involved with others as well. <laughs> he draws around himself a sort of magic circle that prevents intimacy with anyone. And he stops confiding in and trusting in them. We say that he's detached, self-protected, distant, and essentially unknowable at the worst level. These three unhealthy styles destroy healthy living. If we are compliant, then we cannot listen to our own hearts. We are too focused upon the wishes of other people and too interested in pleasing them. Our focus is from the outside in rather than the outside from the inside out. We are way too concerned about acting and not living. If we move against people, we lose our hearts because we must win and beat others at all costs. We must control and dominate them. If we move away from people, we are so emotionally guarded and reserved that we cannot hear the longing or the needs of our own hearts. Hmm. Our fear of intimacy blots out even the loudest cry for love and care. And let me just a little bit of the solution. If we do one of these styles, then we must face it and recognize the enormous damage that this style inflicts upon personal relationships and friendships. We must confess that we do it and ask the father to remove this style from our lives. When I work with when we work with young people, when we work with couples, when we're coaching, always the bottom line issues. The wife complains because their husbands are not intimate. It's because their husband's detached and moved from his wife and his kids. And this happens in most relationships. Mm -hmm. Husbands complain that their wives are too clingy and dependent. It's because the wives move toward their husband and children, cling and depend upon them excessively. Now, we see this with moms trying to be empty nesters. They do not want to they let go of their children. They can't function with Because their children have their become house. their gods. Yeah. Or their husbands become their gods. Yeah. And the husband pushes away when that happens. Yeah. And the, and the woman keeps moving toward and it just destroys relationship. Or husbands complain because their wives don't submit. Rather, their wives control and dominate. Mm -hmm. It's because some wives move against their husbands and children. This is the issue that ruins relationships and completely stifles heart living. And so we can talk about the solutions on the next podcast. I think we should talk about the solutions. I would like to add that um, I don't think it's only a dysfunctional home because um, I was raised with really, my parents were good. There was, I was never afraid or, or had any of those issues at home, but school was a nightmare for me because I have a learning disability. And so I learned my coping mechanisms mostly through school. And so you, it, it, you don't know where things are coming. I've met with a lot of young kids that are, I mean, they went through seasons of serious drug addictions and could have died and depression, all these things. And they can't point the fingers at their, their parents. 
Right. They, they say my mom was loving and kind and sweet and good. And my dad was, you know, he's a great provider and he was a good man. And he always, my parents, you know, one guy kept saying, did they keep checking on you? He said, yeah, they always want to know if I was okay. They were always talking to me. They were always, you know, and people always want to know that about like, what did you guys do wrong with Michael? What would you do different? I'm like, I did the best I could every single day of my life. Yeah, that's right. That's and right. he didn't shut me out. He's talked to me until a couple hours before he died. And we don't, we can't use all these indicators and, and point the fingers to say, you know, this happened. I don't think my house, my heart was destroyed in my home that I grew up in. I think my heart was destroyed at school. Mm. So I couldn't wait to get home. So that's why I loved my bedroom. That's I so loved good. my stuff. I loved, I didn't have to deal with the horrible pressure that I felt. I felt shame, embarrassment, all those things constantly at mm. school because my brain didn't work like other people's did and everybody knew it. Yeah. And it made me feel so stupid. I was talking to Noah on the phone the other day and he's like, I don't get this math I'm doing right now. And I was like, son, I'm tracking with you. It, I never did get it. So I understand how that feels. But Noah isn't stupid, but right. he's told himself he is. Yeah, he's super, cool. super smart. But somewhere in there, he got this message either by watching someone else or comparison or what else that he was something that he really isn't. Mm. And he now says that about himself. And I get it. But it's not really the truth. That is right. That's exactly right. We tell ourselves. Well, let's talk about a couple solutions real quick. And we'll end. Oh, you're going to do it? Well, it's just right here. Okay. So what's the solution? First of all, number one, we, we have to pray that God will show our style of relationship and ask him to make it known to us. So we got to say, Father, show me what have I fallen into? Where was my heart? What, wait, what age was I when it shrunk? When did I become compliant? When did I become resistant? When did I, when did I just go into my own little world and draw that magic circle? Yeah. Father, reveal that to me. And then number two, we pray that the Lord will show, show us when this began in our childhood. Ask him to show a memory or occasion where you learn to move toward people or against people or away from people. And number three, we pray that the Lord will show you how your style is hurting your family and the relationship. Wow. And if you're a young single person, you want to get this dealt with before you get married. You want to get this dealt with before you have children, because you'll just put it onto your net, your kids like we did. Yes. And we had no adults telling us these things. It, it took us years and I'm, we're still working on it to understand the devastation that I did to my own family by moving away from them. My girls especially didn't feel cared for, loved or pursued by me because I was so detached and they knew little, little about who I really was. Number four, we pray that the Lord will heal what hurt us in our childhood. Pray that we will, he will show us the pain that lies behind our particular style of learning. Mm. And the last one, number five, we ask God to, over time to remove the pain behind our style and change it. Because he can change it and it's possible and I can change it and it's possible and I can even do it right now. He literally, the picture he showed me when I was reading this is he's draining the pain out of our hearts. Yeah. Just this open hole and drains the pain yeah. of that style yeah. that's kept us locked up for all these years. And as that drains, it, it hurts. It's, it's scary, but it makes room for healing. Yeah. If you want to truly live in your whole heart, it is crucial that you change your style. Otherwise, the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, will never be possible. Okay, so we've looked at two massive reasons why we don't live from our hearts. Number one, we have religious heart that is blind, hidden, hard, and veiled. And number two, we have a style of relationship that makes heart living virtually impossible. And on our next podcast, what are we going to talk about? The third reason that we don't live in our heart.
The third. The third and potentially final. We'll see. Potentially final. Potentially wow. final. I don't know if that was a threat or a dun 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 dun. So, have you prayed these prayers, guys? I want you to do that right now. Get with the Father and just say, Father, reveal to me. Where that place what is. What is that place? Show me where it came Amen. in and let me just repent. Don't don't go into repressive Don't psychology. try to remember the stuff that yeah. isn't there. You'll just That's really all junk. jack up your world. But just ask the Father to reveal your heart. Let him come and touch it. Let him come and kiss your heart. Open your heart back up to risk and confession and beauty, and you'll start to see a whole change. And And next time, we're just going to talk about the affliction and how it comes and, and how our hearts are veiled from the affliction and then how God can heal that and take us into freedom. So thanks, man. Me? We continue. I am a woman. You are a woman, and you're an awesome leader. You're, you're leading me well with your questions. Thank you. Well, I know you well. I know your heart. Talk to you guys soon. <laughs>